what's up, 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 ladies. What's up, slashers and survivor girls? Welcome to another edition of the Creepin' It Real Horror Cast. I am your host, Meg. Oh, I'm uh, DJ Lunchbox. You're DJ Lunchbox, who's fueled on coke. With a with a sham 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 a ding dong. You just want to be saying that the whole time, aren't you? Oh yeah, I'm. It's gonna be a thing. I'm all juiced up. <laughs> I'm a Coke Zero, ch- ch- chair of vanilla, ch- 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 chair of vanilla, sham a lamb ding dong. Wow! <laughs> I'd have thought you'd have the real cocaine version. There's no sugar in it. Wink. <laughs> yeah, there's other stimulants though. Good God, man! What the hell? I had wow. some G fuel before I came over, so. Anyway, so in case you couldn't figure that out from DJ Lunch Dizzle, we're doing the Sixth Sense. Yep. For and it the, was all, my... all the big, was it, we were calling this the uh, the big box office bash. Sure, we'll go with that one this this week. It's changing every week, so. Ah, uh, yeah, but I, no, I think I actually have it labeled as the big box office bash. Man, that's a tongue twister when you're all sugared up. I thought it was box office bonanza, but. Oh, that's it, damn good. Oh, yeah, so. I like the bonanza one. It's a fun word to say. Bonanza. Shamalama ding dong. Do I need to step away and just let you be <laughs> yeah, yeah, doing you might, the whole, all of this? You might need to take a fiver on this one. But yes, we are doing the Sixth Sense because you didn't know you clicked on the damn link. And it was your pick. It, it was my pick, but yeah. am I going to get a word in this, this week or no? Go ahead. You sure? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. Uh, before we get into the sixth sense, I just wanted to say uh, welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you're new, and hopefully you enjoy this episode. Um, and welcome. We enjoy newcomers. Always. Gooba gaba, gooba gaba. One of us. Oh, one always. of us. <laughs> I always, I always like whenever I say the the welcome to the newcomers. I always think of like haunted mansion uh, and just that opening scene, like welcome mortals. Don't pick up the hitchhiking ghosts. <laughs> oh. So, before we get into anything, um, make sure you hit that subscribe button and we drop in your favorite podcatcher every Tuesday. Join us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Slasher, at Creep It At Real, R-E-E-L as in Movie Real. If you have a movie idea or if you'd like to sponsor an episode, you can email us at creepinitreal.cm at gmail.com. And if you want to rep us out in the streets, go to creepinitreal.redbubble.com for all of your Creepin' It Real merchandising needs. Word. So, The Sixth Sense. Um, I have not seen this movie in in a long time. Uh, I'm fairly certain it's been close to 20 years, maybe a little more since I've seen it. It's been a really, really long time, and I've only seen it the once. So, this, I thought, in terms of, like, big-budget horror movies, um, big money-making horror movies, this was a good one because I think this one held the record till It Chapter 1 came out. Uh, highest grossing. I believe it was, yes, it was very, very close. It held the record, record for yeah. 18, 18 years. And then It Chapter 1 came out and finally blasted past. As it ceiling. should. Right. As it should. Um, so some of the pertinence, a little bit of information. The Sixth Sense, if you didn't know, was written and directed by... <laughs> I am not a shamalama ding dong. <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan. It was made for a budget of about $40 million. It's cumulative worldwide gross, according to the International Movie Database, was 
million dollars. This made a fuckload of money. Yeah. And dude. why wouldn't it? Because you look at the cast, it's got Bruce Willis as Malcolm, Haley Joel Osment as Cole, Tony Collette as Lynn, Olivia Williams as Anna, and Donnie Wahlberg as Vincent Gray. Uh, there's also a very small role by a very young Misha Barton who played Kira. Uh, I think this was one of her first ro- starring roles, if you or not starring roles, but one of her first movie roles. And then she would go on to be in um, the OC, if anyone ever watched teen dramas on the televisions. So, yeah, with Bruce Willis at the helm, I, can ima- I can't imagine why this thing made so much fucking money. Um, it also had a huge word of mouth, um, much like Silence of the Lambs did back in the early 90s. There was a huge word of mouth draw for people to go and catch this. Um, and then um, this was both M. Night Shyamalan's blessing and his curse because one of the selling points of this movie was the twist at the end, um, which is what got a lot of people going to the movie theater, but it also ended up kind of ruining audiences for Shyamalan's movies because every time you put a film out, everyone was looking for the clues to find yep. the twist. Yeah, that's that's really hard to do. And for me, I would love if M. Night would do a movie that had no twists. It was straightforward, A to B, Nothing. And that would that, be shocking. And that way people would just be like, where the fuck was the twist? There was nothing. And it's like, it's a movie. You're just watching a movie. You're not having to detect, like, nothing. Like, that would be a really fun twist. Just to be like, hey, just throw you guys a curveball. Yeah. yeah, the twist is there is no twist. Surprise! Yeah. But, it's the twistiest of twists. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't have a lot of recollection of this movie. I was a teenager when it came out. I don't really have much memory of it outside of the cultural zeitgeisty stuff of I see dead people all the time and all of the spoofy things um which sp- scary movie was it where Marlon Wayans was in the bed and he goes I see white people all the time was it two um I think it was three t- uh, it was two it, it maybe two or three no it actually it might be three because there was only one ghost in the in number two because that was when they were doing that House on Haunted Hill thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it must have been three when that came out because then they were they were playing off on in number two, as you said, House on Haunted Hill, and then there was, um, oh, there was another uh, film that they were doing too. Um, anyways, but that's I think it's spoofed Ghostbusters and Charlie's Angels now. But anyway, yeah, that's neither here nor there. So anywho, uh, what about you? What are your thoughts on this one? Um, well. I remember watching this in theaters uh, and absolutely loving it, as everyone did, hence why it made a, a At the time. ton of money. Um, I, I enjoyed more of the spoofs that came after it, mm. and that's when you know you have a absolute gem of a movie, because you can just get spoof after spoof after spoof. SNL will do skit after skit. They'll make references to it. You yeah. get stuff online. You get stuff in car commercials. You get, I mean, the, like I saw one for, um, it was like a dog food, like a just a, I, like kind of like a, was it? The, I think it was Pedigree. Um, it was it was some dog food commercial, and they were just like, it was the dogs going, I see food. All the time, and it was just, and then like it just go and like 
run off and do something. Or it may have been the one that had, like, the bacon! Like, I see bacon all the time. And so, again, always referencing Yeah, it got woven... It got woven into the cultural fabric. It has a very... You know, when people think of the late 90s, early 2000s, this was one of those things that sticks out um, in the brain, much like New Metal and Jinko Jeans. Uh, the Sixth Sense <laughs> is right behind it. But, so. but that was the thing. Was like So for like the Sixth Sense, I remember seeing it in theaters and was all about it when, when yeah. I was a kid. And because of the big twist and everything like that, it was really cool. Uh, the only other movie that had a twist ending to it that surprised the shit out of me to where I've, I've only done it one time in my life where I stood up in the theater and went, fuck off, like in surprise, was Saw when, when you know, at when the John end, gets up. when John gets up. So with this one, it was cool to have the surprise, but it was more for me a confirmation and we'll get into that later. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I also, um, I mean, it was really cool was, uh, like, my buddy Brock, uh, M. Night Shyamalan is, like, one of his kind of top directors. And I remember we, uh, I think it was when The Village came out, we did, like, a little viewing party before we went uh, and saw the midnight showing for The Village. And we, I remember watching uh, The Sixth Sense and... Signs, probably. Yeah, signs. Signs was another funny one, just because I love when Mel Gibson is. They're at the dinner table, and the kids don't want to eat whatever food is on, like I, you know, the leftovers. And he's like, "Well, I'm gonna eat this." And he's like taking the kids' food and stabbing the plates. And I'm like, "God damn!" He's, so he's a little good. stressed out. It's so good, but it's just like just Mel, I could see Mel Gibson just walking into a restaurant, and be like, "I'm gonna have some of this, and I'm gonna get some of that." Why so angry? What 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 did it do to you? It's already dead. Those green beans didn't deserve (laughs) that sort of mutilation, sir. Yeah. So I enjoy this film a lot, but it's I think out of all of M Nights, this is probably the top for me. Yeah. Um I do enjoy the twist, but once it's I also hate the twist. Yeah. Um, because once you see it, you don't need to see it again. You already know what, what's yeah. going to happen. That's probably the downer part. That's probably what docks this movie a couple of points is the fact that the rewatchability quotient goes yeah. way down. Um, the other uh, M. Night movie that I really like is, uh, well, I mean, I know a lot of people it's kind of like hit and miss, but I, I really did like Unbreakable with Bruce and, and Samuel because it had that rewatchability. This one has the rewatchability for me because of Bruce's acting, uh, you know, uh, Haley Joe and like all like everyone in this movie acted their asses off and it was so believable yeah. and it worked. But, and I think yeah. I think somebody who doesn't the one actor who doesn't get enough credit for what was brought to the movie was Tony Collette. Oh. My God. Yeah. She was amazing in this movie. I forgot she was in it because she's been sporting blonde hair for a long time now. Um, so to see her as a brunette was, was a little... She was almost unrecognizable. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck is this? She kind of looked like Lauren Holly. Yeah. Remember Lauren Holly from Dumb and Dumber? Mm-hmm. So she kind of looked like her. Um, but she fucking killed it. Like, she had me emotional... I, there was a few times in this film where I got like a little misty eyed, and horror movies 
generally don't want to they generally aren't supposed to elicit an emotional response like that where it can make you sad or a little teary-eyed um but because this was and maybe it's because I'm a mom myself now like having that response where you can you're see you're watching your child something is going on they won't tell you anything you're already going through something because you're going through divorce um there's a whole set of potential issues there and then on top of it you have this kid who something's going on he's not being open about it um you can tell he's lying or there's something up behind the scenes and he's closed off and you think maybe this poor kid's going off the deep end because he's talking about how he can see ghosts and he would draw pictures and write things about it and just have all of these um outbursts in regards to what he saw and how he handled what he saw it's it can't be easy as a parent to watch your child go through something like that and not have any clue where to start. I uh, I had to admit that after, when I watched this movie the first time in theaters, I didn't have that emotional connection because obviously I'm very young at the time. But watching it now as a dad, as you just said, yes. And I have to admit that I I cried multiple times yeah. in this film. And it's just it hit me hard, and I texted because I watched this, um, you know, around like midnight, and I, I texted you in the middle of the night. And I was like, I really want to hug her son right now. Like I need, yeah. <laughs> like I, I needed this because it, it his just cold and just the way that Haley just acted the shit out of it. It was so believable and he didn't really have to do much but when you got the sense of what was happening and just when he would just stare he wouldn't he would look really slowly at something and you know that there was something there and then he would look straight and just just that troublesome scared stiff like I don't want to move I'm frozen with fear and like all that was just came out of his face but he never let it out um one scene that um that really stuck out to me and this goes on to that where you know kids that don't know how to project a feeling toward like two adults so that they know what's going on um i mean our son every kid does it i mean they just don't know adults will say you could tell me anything you talk to me anything but the kids still don't have that trust and it's like you have to really, you know, make them comfortable. And that's basically what this movie was. But that, there's one scene where he was in class and they were supposed to just draw something. So he ended up drawing a man being stabbed in, in the neck with a screwdriver by another man, which is horrible. But he's pretty much drawing what he's seeing. Like, yeah. so he's – I'm telling an adult what I'm seeing and – He's kind of wanting them to question it, but when, but as an adult seeing that, they're like, "Oh shit, troublesome," you know. Yeah, that's that's a toughie because it's hard to tell. It's hard to filter things out through an adult mind, and it's hard to tell when. Sometimes when a child is making things up, 
or trying to save their own skin. Because we've all been kids at one point in varying stages where if we even have an inkling we're going to get in trouble, we will try to weasel our, ways out of, our way out of it, um, even if it's that's not the case. So as an adult, seeing it through more of an adult lens, it's real. it's incredibly difficult because you're just thinking like, okay, this kid has to be making this up. There's no way this is real. And then your next thought is, is he okay? Do we need to have him talk to somebody? Like, are it, are we looking at a potential, like, psychopath serial killer on our hands? What do we do here? But that, was, that was the thing is when he drew that picture and the adults flipped out, they sent him to therapy mm-hmm. and everything else, he, you know, I, I, uh, Bruce Willis's character, like, he... He's like, oh, did you, do you draw anything else? And he's like, yeah, I draw, you know, sunshine and rainbows. People and smiling. People smiling, yeah. Yep. And he's like, why did you draw that? He's like, well, no one, you know, yells at you for drawing rainbows. Or you don't yeah. get in trouble for drawing rainbows. There's no counseling statement for that. Yeah, and so, and that's something, that is a defense mechanism mm-hmm. to where it's, like, I mean, adults do it all the time, and I mean, it's it's it, that was something that was that, like I said, stood out to me because it's a coping mechanism where you put on the mask that, and I and me personally, you know, for like a couple of years ago, I did just that. Like, I'm a very happy go lucky person, but I was going through some some depression, and I didn't want people to know about it. I didn't want to burden anybody with it. And I just put on the the happy dude mask and just went about my life. And then when people walked away from me, I went right back into my my little hole. Not healthy, guys. So luckily I'm good. I'm all better. No mask. It's all this right here. So much of whatever that is. Shamalama ding dong. (laughs) So, but that's the, but that was something for Cole that I absolutely loved was, he was figuring out ways to hide hide himself from adults or from anybody so that they don't know, yet he desperately needs someone to believe him and not think that he's a freak. Well, yeah, no, definitely. And we saw that with Malcolm's character. When they first meet, he says, you can't help me. Um, which, you know, once you know the twist of the film... It's, it's like, oh, that could mean any number of things. But um, he says, you can't help me because every other adult in his life has shut him down in some way. So what makes this guy any different? Yeah. Well, and <laughs> that was one thing about the M. Night Shyamalan Ding Dong's writing was he taking Malcolm as a incredible, award-winning child psychiatrist mm-hmm. who ends up dying and then turns around and he all of a sudden latches on to the one kid in his area that can do just that. Well, and it was because he died in Malcolm. Or else, sorry, sees dead people. and Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, I think it's because that's his unfinished business due to the guy who shot him. It was the one patient he had that he couldn't help. And he couldn't help that patient because he wouldn't listen. When because Vincent and Cole were exactly the same. Um, uh, Explain Donnie, Vincent Gray. Vincent Gray is Donnie Wahlberg's character. So at the beginning of the movie, 
He's broken into the crow's home. He's hiding out in the master bathroom. The crows come back from their award evening. Like, he's got Malcolm's his, loaded. Yeah, Malcolm. They're both kind of drunk. Malcolm's got his sweet new plaque. Um, they're going to go celebrate. They're going to have a little giggity giggity. And Anna sees that someone has broken in through the window. Well, Vincent has broken into the house. I'm assuming the reason why he's there that particular night is because he knew about the award ceremony. Yeah. He had to have. And uh, side note, <laughs> I knew Donnie was in the film. He was unrecognizable. Absolutely. I didn't know it was Donnie Wahlberg until after the fact. Yeah. When it was, was like, oh, Donnie Wahlberg and Sixth Sense. And I'm like, um, What's the guy's <laughs> name that plays Vision in um, Avengers? Paul Bettany. Paul. It looked like a younger Paul Bettany with a little longer hair. Well, I guess he lost over 40 pounds. He got real scrawny, shaved off his eyebrows. Like, he looked... Uh, he looked like he was a junkie. Yeah, unrecognizable. It, like I was like, that is amazing. And yeah. he acted his ass off in that one little scene. Yeah. He got and paid. Cut the check. Done. Yeah, he was amazing. Um, but anyway, because he knew that Malcolm was being celebrated as this revolutionary child psychiatrist. I can never tell the difference <laughs> between psychologist and psychiatrist. I know it's because one of them can write a prescription. But anyway... Um, so he, for some reason, strips down to his underwear and he's crying and shivering and sniveling in the bathroom and Malcolm's trying to talk, basically talk him in off the ledge and, um, Vincent finally gives up, shoots Malcolm in the stomach and the camera, this shot was, um, almost a little hard to watch because it starts to pan away and just as it's panning outside of the doorway frame you see the gun go up to Vincent's temple and then you hear the bang and you see him go over just as it uh, as the camera pans away from the door frame you get just enough of a sliver of a visual of that to kick you right in the shins it really really hurts and especially if you know anybody who um you you were close to that was lost to suicide in that way um it hurts even more because you get to see what that would look like and so um but vincent was we get a lot of of exposition in that scene because he's telling he's telling malcolm they've called me they're calling me a freak and you didn't believe me and you didn't help me and he was describing how the ghosts had made him feel and how he was scared all the time and the reason why Malcolm ended up I guess being assigned to Cole as his unfinished business is because Cole was going through the exact same thing as Vincent it was everything down to being called a freak by the kids at school he was going through Cole was going through the same thing with divorced parents um, when we see a copy of Malcolm's notes on Cole they read just like um, Vincent's where he could potentially have a mood disorder and oh dad left and dad's distant and the parents are getting divorced um, we see a scene with one of the kids in his class calling him a freak um, 
they're I think he and Vincent were suffering from the exact same thing. Yeah, the the bully that or I, I call him a bully, but the um I believe his name was Tommy. Yeah. Um Tommy, it was uh fun for me because I didn't I, I like it was one of those kids that I was like, God, I've seen him before mm-hmm. and it, um his name is actually uh, Trevor Morgan and I remember him from Jurassic uh Park Three. Mm-hmm. He was a kid that uh, was yeah, lost. Was William H. Yeah. Son. So I was like, oh shit, like that's really cool. But he's like a young buck on this. But I, his character was really fun because he wanted to be an actor because, and he thought that he was a damn good actor. Yeah, because he did one cop serve. One cop serve. And, and even then, it was just like, he looks sad, Billy, big puppy dog eyes. Oh, I don't feel good, mommy. And then medicine. Then the next shot, I'm running the yard with the dog. Hi, mom. And then that's it. It's like he just thought that he was just the fucking brilliant. It's because he did one local commercial yeah. and got paid for it. So that that stuff was really, really fun. But um, there, it, it was weird because I guess he lives next to Cole. And so when they go to school... He still picks on him, and Malcolm was asking him one day when they were walking. He's like, "Oh, do you, you know, does Tommy like you?" And Cole's like, "No, Tommy hates me." And then Malcolm is like, "Well, do you hate him?" He's like, "No, I don't." And that again, when he said that, it reminded me of my son, <laughs> you know, our son Owen. He just he does that all the time where he. He doesn't get picked on, but he doesn't understand when he's being taken advantage of or pushed around by other kids. And that really hurts because he thinks that it's, you know, like, he enjoys everybody. He enjoys his friends, but, you know, it's like if a kid's hogging a video game or something like that, he just kind of takes it. And I'm trying to get him to understand that, but it was just that comment from Cole where he's like, no, I I don't hate him. Well, part of that, well, part of that is because Cole is um, as a character, he's very compassionate. Yeah, and he's very empathetic, and he he is an empath, and he's very open, and that is a it's incredibly easy to take advantage of, but also b it it makes it very difficult to be able to have those strong negative feelings towards people. Because you can rationalize their behavior and go, well, why would I hate them for that? And you understand that it's a waste of energy. And in Cole's case, his mental energy was being funneled away for other things. Because he was literally being hunted everywhere he went every second of the day. Yeah, and I mean, like, going back to the comparison with our kid, it's like, I mean, he's just a really good, loving kid. So it's like he's doesn't, he doesn't see the negativity yeah. in that yet. And, I mean, that was something where, yes, as Cole, yeah, it's like, dude, I don't have time for you. It's like I'm going to deal with you, and it's going to be nice. It's like I, would, I think Cole would rather deal with Tommy than any of the scary dead people that he sees. Yeah, because you know? Tommy is, is tangible. and He can be managed and worked with because he's alive. The dead people, a mostly because they don't know that they're dead. You can't reason with somebody who doesn't know. But also, on the other side of that, it makes his mom think that he's 
more or less normal because he appears to have a normal relationship with a kid his age. Yeah. Even though that's simply not true because as soon as they're out of her line of sight, Tommy's like, fuck you, kid. Yeah. It makes me wonder if maybe Cole doesn't pay him to fake it for his mom just so that his mom doesn't no, feel bad. Or... No, Tommy, Tommy seemed like he was one of those kids where if there was a, an adult figure in front, like around watching him it. he would he would be the good kid i'm gonna i'm gonna be really i'm just gonna be the you know white picket fence apple pie golly yeah. gee whiz mister yeah sure he, is a nice day out exactly he's gonna be that kind of kid and there was that that same exact scene where uh cole and tommy are going to school and tommy walks up and wraps his arm around cole looks up at his mom and waves wave. and like oh and then as she shuts the curtain they walk away he's like you see what i did there that's acting that was good acting you know i just kind of improvised the whole arm thing i thought it was pretty good like and then immediately went right back into and he calls cole a freak yeah after that mm-hmm. exactly so and again cole just being like dude whatever <laughs> that's fine he doesn't even it doesn't phase him when it doesn't face him at the moment when Tommy calls him that, but when Tommy and anybody's away and he's talking to Malcolm, it hurts him that that they call him a freak. Yeah. But it's just it. He doesn't. I, I also have like uh like little. It gave me like that essence of from Zootopia, with um, Judy. No, the fox. Um, oh, with Nick. With yeah, because he did the same thing. He got picked on when he was trying to go into the the cub scout thing that they were going into and they put a muzzle on him called him a, you know uh, you know those terrible names because he's a fox and just kind of said that oh he was gonna murder all the kids so they had to, yeah, so all the yeah so all of them were picking on him and he just felt bad he even said he's like you know don't let them don't let them see that they're getting to you and yeah a, well, another defense mechanism and Cole does exactly that. Yeah, but he, I think he got, it seems to me Cole was just, he got comfortable being a loner. Mm-hmm. Like, he just kind of accepted that that was his role. And I think when Malcolm came along. It just hit me that I just referenced Zootopia to the sixth No, 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 Zootopia, Zootopia's, <laughs> it's a great movie. Like, that's oh, not. I'm going to watch when I go home. I mean, it's not like you were trying to pull a reference out of, like, I don't know. Because Jaws. <laughs> yeah, because Jaws. Because the shark was feeling like a freak because they were all going around hunting him, and then they shot him with the barrels, and it made him feel bad, so he tried to sink down to the bottom of the water, but they kept pulling him up, and he's just like, you know what? I'm having enough of you guys. I'm going to break your boat. And then he got I'll his... I'll show you. He got his self-confidence back. And, and then, then exploded. Yeah. Because no. Jaws. Because Jaws. <laughs> That's a good way to look at that movie through the eyes of the shark. I think that also needs to be a t-shirt on the web store. Because Jaws. Because Jaws. <sighs> anyway. I did it again. Um, I was going to say it would be worse if you did, like, <laughs> oh, I can liken it to this particular character in, like, Zombievers or something. <laughs> that, would be, that would be terrible. Um, even though I love that movie. Uh but yeah, he was comfortable in that loner role. I think it's just he'd been there for so long that he just kind of accepted it as that that was a part of his life. Um, but there was definitely a constant sadness 
about him, um, at least until we get a good chunk of the way in to the movie when he realizes, I think Cole realized he was helping Malcolm. And he understood what his role was now and why he was this medium for the dead. Um, because as a nine-year-old, well, eight, well, first of all, we don't know how long he'd been afflicted with this. Like how many years, he was nine years old in the film, so the, uh, the character. I think Haley Joel Osment was like 10 or 11 when he did it, but the character is nine. So how long has this been going on? Like, was he four or five years old the first time he saw a dead person somewhere? Like, when you're that little, you can't rationalize that stuff. Um, even at nine years old, it's a really hard idea to wrap your brain around. Well, I also, like, while I was watching it, it hit me that if this was written by Stephen King, this would be just another Shining adaptation. Because that's basically what Cole is doing is he's shining but he's it's a different version of it where he's seeing things um and I mean uh Danny Torrance he saw things too he but saw he, dead people too but he could project to other people so that was another shining ability yeah Cole was Cole was incoming calls only exactly well as far as we know and that was the thing was watching Again, it reminded me a lot of like Dr. Sleep, Danny Torrance, where he realized what his abilities were and he had to go and help people with his ability. And that was something that was really uh, cool once we actually got into like once Malcolm said the line, it just like boom, light bulb for, you know, for Cole. And he had to, you know, just build up that courage just to go ahead and do it and same thing with Danny Torrance like there was the uh you know in Dr. Sleep after he went and slept with the you know woman that was all drugged out and he went and stole her money and then realized that oh the baby was there too and then when he ends up sleeping in his new you know, apartment uh and then he has the vision of the dead mom and the dead baby which is so crushing um like that whole scene was really freaky, but it was that that same thing where he kind of realized that he needed to change and do something and, and build and grow. Well, we and, got that we got that with the Misha Barton scene, yeah. When um, because she she found him, but she hadn't been dead that long, and we get the line from Kira, the her the character's name is Kira. We get the line from her where she says she's like, I don't feel sick anymore because she was slowly being poisoned by her mother. Yeah. Um, and we'll we'll explain that. I too. think I think that was one of the early light bulb moments for Cole. But there was also the conversation with there was a couple conversations I think with Malcolm where Malcolm was trying to lead him down that path, saying you know maybe there's a reason why you can do this. This isn't a curse. Maybe there's something here. It's your you've been given this job to help them cross over. And that scene. Not only that line, but it also registered to Cole that Malcolm believes him. Yeah. And that was something where Cole had to go through with it. Because if Malcolm was just saying it, just to, to say it, like, oh, you know, like ghosts tend to do this and kind of just, um, yeah. you know, like a waving off kind of comment, it would, Cole would have just been like, no, I'm just going to keep hiding in my, my tent. But 
that was the the thing where when Malcolm says the whole line, maybe they just need help. Maybe they just want someone to listen to them, just like Cole wants someone to listen to him. Yeah, and help them, and and that, just that whole thing of going back to you know me putting on the mask during depression. It's like that's all you need is just you just want someone just to listen to you, and yeah, and and that that message was very impactful in just one little scene and you could see it on Cole's face where the light bulb kicks on and yeah that's when he realizes his curse is actually a gift and he understands what he is tasked to do um the two characters Malcolm and Cole though it's amazing to watch they're both of these characters are on a journey of acceptance and that's what you're watching through this movie it's Cole accepting what his powers are, what his role is on this planet is, and then on the um, and then you have Malcolm, who, you know, he's he, he's there to help Cole, but what he doesn't understand is that Cole is there to help him accept the fact that he was murdered, and he is now dead, and he needs to cross over, and he needs to do to you know tie up whatever his loose ends are. So we're both. We have both of these two characters, we're watching them on this path of accepting their fates. And it's, when you start digging around into that idea, it's, it's a pretty powerful message. And it's, it's pretty powerful thematically too in, a, in any movie, but in especially a horror movie, um, because you can, horror movies just, they're so easy to write off. Um, and a film like this where, yes, it is a horror film, um, but they want to slap it with, it's a psychological thriller or something along those lines because horror is a dirty word. And even horror fans don't want to label it necessarily as a horror film, even though it's got all of the elements there that make it a proper horror film. So... It, it like it's got the psychological part of it. It's kind of a mind fuck. You're dealing with ghosts, um, those kind of scares. Like you can, f- the tension starts ramping up towards the end, especially when the for like the first half of the movie, we don't see what Cole is seeing, and then something happens where he finally opens up to Malcolm, and then we as an audience can now see what Cole sees. We actually get to see him interact with the ghosts and we see them swinging from ropes in the school hallways or um we see a woman who got killed in a car crash she was not riding her bike or we finally see what the ghosts look like but the first half of the movie we don't because um we're not allowed to see it until malcolm believes him yeah and stuff like that i i also like i'm one of those people that it's kind of hard to really put this into the horror category, um, but but it totally is. Uh, I all honestly think that they could have had a chance to go a little bit further with what they were doing. Uh, like for instance, uh, the one big jump scare, or the one scare, not a jump scare that that happened, was Cole went. <laughs> he had to go bathroom so bad, and he was. Just waiting out, like, you know, at the crack of his door and then just got the courage up and just ran in and just let it go. And he was just relieved. And then you got the 
the woman in pink uh, walking by the you know the frame. He walks into the kitchen and he says, "Mom," or like "Mommy," and the woman turns around and it's a ghost and she starts screaming at him as if it was her husband and like I'm gonna kill you I want a divorce and blah blah like she's just like well, she was an abused housewife yeah. yeah and then like she shows the wrist and with all the cuts on it I feel like they could have gone a little bit further with it and shown like blood on it and everything else because it just looked like there were cuts but there were no nothing oozing I, out of it I think and, the reason only reason why they didn't is because this was Oscar bait and um, if they even wanted to sniff a major award, but they but they did that. that with the um, the people hanging in the school hall. So because that was something that Cole was telling his teacher, like because uh, he was like, oh, does anybody remember like what this used to be? And and yeah, Cole's and he, like, oh yeah, they used to hang people here. And teacher's like, no, no, like he's trying to keep it PG for all the other kids. But he's like, no, that's exactly what happened. He's like, oh, no, this is where they pass laws and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a courthouse. He goes, yeah, those are the people that hung the people. (laughs) And then they're like this whole... And then he started screaming, stuttering Stanley. Yeah, the whole escalating thing like that. But there was the one lady, um, or like the the three people that are hanging, one of the ladies, like, she's covered in blood. And... I think that's... I mean, if you want to argue the little detail things, like, I think that would have been... That's less of an issue than someone cutting their wrists. Well, no, but also, I mean, you have uh, probably one of my favorite ghosts is the little boy that walks into Cole's room. Yeah. And then, like, again, it's a little jump scare. And then he walks back out and he's like, hey, let me show you where my dad's gun is. And then he turns around and you see the big ass hole in the back of his head. Why wouldn't, like, I, I would say it's, like, not, I'm not saying, like, gush, like, the woman needed to have, like, gushing arms or anything like that, but, like, she had, it looked like fresh cuts on her arm, but there was no blood, no, nothing, like, there's nothing on yeah. it. So I think they could have done a little bit just to edge that on. Um, I mean, there was also, like, the, the biker woman um, at the end, she shows up at the window, and when Cole's, like, she's by the window, she's, like, right here, and same thing, like, she's. Got, she's all bloody and everything else, and it, that's a, a good scare. But that was the thing that I almost felt like they could have done stuff from Cole's point of view where he's mentioned that he sees them all the time. Mm-hmm. They're everywhere. And there could have been a thing where Cole's walking down the street, and they could have shown images where he's looking around or he's in the park somewhere, like sitting on a bench, and they just all, you know, there's just a bunch of dead people all around him. That would have been really cool. Probably, you know, a little bit more I think they would have been budget, little, but... No, but I think... Nah, I don't think so. I think that would have been overkill. I think we got just enough of the visual. Um, we also got enough to understand that Cole deals, for the most part, he's dealing with them on a one-on-one basis. Um, they tend to pick and choose their... Uh, the ghosts pick their appearances. Um... Uh, but yeah, that was um, that was an interesting directorial choice and an editing choice to not allow the audience to see the ghosts until Malcolm decides it's okay to see the ghosts. Um, I thought that was an interesting choice uh, to to make when putting the movie together. I mean, there was the one scene that was like kind of like your first taste of oh shit, there is something wrong. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I this is something that I absolutely love as just a little little thing just to add in there is anytime uh, you know the theory is that anytime a ghost is present in a room the temperature drops Mm -hmm. Um, so I love that almost every time there's some type of spirit or ghost that's within the the area somebody's always putting on a sweater somebody's always putting on a blanket Mm -hmm. um, you know what have you Um, in that first scene with Malcolm and his wife um, there's the uh, they were sitting there by the fire and you know having some wine and everything else looking at the plaque getting some smooches on and then turn around and he's like god it's cold in here and she gives him the sweater and everything like that but that's when Vincent's up in the room and lo and behold there's probably ghosts walking around the house and just because Vincent's there yeah, yeah. and then the whole thing with, uh, like, I mean, it's like throughout the movie, I mean, the mom's putting on, uh, Cole's mom's putting on, you know, blankets and jackets, and uh, there's other stuff later on when... She's constantly wearing a sweater, even when Cole's not. Like, there was that scene at the dinner table, she was wearing that thick knit sweater. Yeah. But it's like, they're always cold, the temperature will always drop, and that was something that I, is just a nice little tidbit that I just always love. Um for ghost movies and things like that. But I think the... Yeah, the temperature thing is really cool. That's a that's a ghost movie cliche, though. That one gets played out a lot um, in most ghost movies. Like, And you see that in like the ghost hunting TV shows, too, where if there's a spirit present, all of a sudden things get a little colder. Or if you brush past a spirit, like you get the chill. Um, the thing is, though, is it seems to be more when the spirits are agitated or worked up in some way. Um, because when Malcolm's around, nobody's cold until he starts getting upset. The only time you see, um, like when he's around Anna, the only time you ever see where she's very clearly cold and you see like her breath and stuff like that is when he's, is towards the end of the movie when he's accepting that he's dead, dying, not dying, dead. Um, and he starts getting upset about it, you can see that the temperature has changed and her breath starts coming out and you see the vapor. Um, and then when he goes, she, the temperature drops back down to normal. But that's really the only time you ever really see that um, because when Malcolm and Cole are together all the time, there's really no visible temperature change anyway. Yeah. Because Malcolm's not upset. No, and but there's there there's so many little nice little things that they do for the ghost in the movie that just really play up j- just spot on. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing like for Malcolm is every time he tries to go down into his workspace uh, down in the basement, the door's always locked. He always has to get a key, and he's just always you know trying to go go through it. Um, but we find out at the end it's not locked. There's a freaking like bookcase yeah, like, I right think, in front of it. And because his office was still intact when he went down there, I think it was just because Anna couldn't handle it. So she just blocked the door off so there was never any reason to go down there. Yeah. And there was – oh, there was something else with um, – I believe it was uh, one of the other uh, ghosts that kind of – 
it really did it for me on that was the uh, the school play like the you know the the woman in the she was the costume lady. The costume, yes. The, I couldn't remember what she was, but yeah, she was a costume designer. And years ago, the school kind of caught fire. She was in the fire, and Cole's sitting there chatting with her, and you could see her just roaming the you know the back area you know of the stage, um, and that was really nice. But that that's at the moment where Cole. That was after Cole accepted what he was supposed yeah, to do. Yeah, what he needs to do and, and things like that. But still, it was just a nice little nod to say that... Well, yeah, his history teacher came in afterwards and was like, hey, who are you talking to? Yeah, yeah. That was the very end of the movie, or towards yeah. the very end of the movie. It, it's an interesting little journey to go on. I feel like some of the things you described, though, I think were hints at the upcoming twist, the twistedness. Um, Malcolm not being able to get down into his workspace. Um, the... The, his his interactions with other people because he didn't have any. Um, there were definitely, and this is this is what affects the rewatchability of this movie is because once you know the twist is coming, you start looking for all of the breadcrumbs, and you find them, and it's like okay, well that's because for me like because yeah, obviously the movie was released in 1999. I know what happens. I know what the quote unquote twist now is going to be. So I'm looking for all of the things that would tip me off that something was coming and him not being able you know the door being locked to the workspace um another one was his clothes the only clothes he ever wore were the ones that he had worn the night he died and that's actually the one thing when i saw it in theaters when i was a kid i registered that he was dead because he never changed his clothes yep so that that was the one thing that when i mentioned that i had needed that confirmation um, was because I got it about probably about halfway through the movie when they when Cole finally says I see dead people and I see them all the time and he explains it to Malcolm and I go mm, okay I think I know what the ending is gonna be on this but I want to confirm and then yeah, yeah yeah so but yeah it's like that fucking blue shirt all all day long yeah <laughs> um, and the fact that the only person he interacts with at all in the movie is is Cole. They do try to to throw you a little bit with Anna because um, one could chalk that up to Anna being annoyed with him or giving him the silent treatment or they've grown distant as, as a couple. Um, you know, because there was the anniversary dinner scene where he he's late. And that scene was brilliant. Because mm-hmm. it looks like she's just pissed at him. Yeah. And it's one of those things where because uh, when they're doing the whole smoochy smoochy in front of the placky placky, um, they were wow. they were going through and she was saying that, you know, your your work is incredible and it's doing amazing things. I'm never gonna feel second banana to that because I know that, you know, we No, love she it. said that you put everything second to your work, including me. And that's that was the the tip off or well, no, but she wasn't going to feel bad because he was working so much. Yeah. Now, a year later, and he's just, he, like, he just, I'm um, focused, 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 and he shows up at the dinner at the anniversary and automatically starts talking to her about the problems he's having with the case, not focusing on her. Right. At so all. it looks like. Yeah. It looks like she's pissed because A, he was late to the dinner, and B, he's just wanting to talk about work. 
So even if up to that point you were thinking something was up, that scene could very well change your mind into thinking, maybe not. Yeah. And then that, that whole bit where the waiter puts the, the check down on the table, Malcolm reaches for it, and she like snatches it up before he can even touch it. Uh, that was something really cool. And um, I didn't notice it the first couple times that I watched it, but he never actually pulls out the chair to sit down. He just walks up and then just sits down. He doesn't down in interact the chair. with any. He doesn't sit around. He doesn't physically interact with anyone or anything. No, and like the waiter never engages with him either. And that was something that was a tip off. But because you're so involved in what Malcolm's saying and how yeah. you know, his wife's reacting, that you never even notice the waiter at all. Yeah. And he just puts it down and goes. The waiter never goes. Oh, hello, sir. No, nothing. Yeah. And that was again such a good scene um and then all the stuff with cole's mom there was one scene that was kind of weird because malcolm's sitting down with her and cole comes home it's that first little time she doesn't look at malcolm she doesn't do anything she just goes right over to cole and then just goes right into you know making them yeah but the setup makes it look like they were in the middle of a conversation with cole when cole came home and and that was a good way uh for you know, for M Night to right to to film it because but the I think the tip off yeah. the tip off there that something was wrong was because was when his mom didn't say oh hey honey welcome home by the way this is yeah Doctor Malcolm never Crow introduced him, yeah. he's here to talk to you any other parent on the planet would have done that and yeah. it's like oh he's a doctor he wants to have a chat with you I'm gonna go make some pancakes why don't you sit down and talk to him. He's making a house call, whatever. Nothing. She's just like, oh, honey, I'm so glad you're home. Do you want pancakes? Yeah. Well, that was a really sweet scene just because she goes, do you know what I did today? And she's like, I won the lottery and I went and swam in a fountain. And it was like, that is a beautiful scene. And then, like, she asked him what he did. He's like, I was, you know, chosen first for the, you know, kickball. It was cute. It was those little fantasy things that they had. I was like, that is a beautiful little scene and very very touching um i would love i'm gonna start doing that with with our kids just because that just sounds like a lot of fun it's a um, fun way to stretch your imagination <laughs> yeah so i mean like you could do all that but then that's when she just walks away and then malcolm starts talking with with cole um i mean there, there's so many other scenes where uh like malcolm's walking back home and he sees uh the guy that anna it's kind of like I guess it's it's her coworker. It's a flirtation. And yeah, there's a flirtation. He he's leaving the the house, and Malcolm's walking up, and he's like, "Hey, buddy," he's calling to him, and the guy just can't hear him. He just gets in his car and just leaves. Well, you can also chalk that up to, "Oh shit, the husband's home. Let's pretend he didn't see me." Uh, kind of. Um, I mean, but the guy he was just like, "I'm just getting in the car." He kind of seemed a little flustered, and. Yeah. I could understand why because the whole time that we're seeing this guy trying to get with Anna, it, it, she's still stuck on Malcolm. Yeah, but and she's playing hot and cold too. So she's like, oh, she'll, she'll kind of go for it a little bit and then pull away. And there's a bit of a frustration thing there. It's on his end. But it's also only been a year since her husband died and her husband's the love of her life. And you can tell because she would go to sleep every night crying her eyes out watching their wedding video. Yeah. So, I mean, oh, and that wedding video, her black friend. Oh, my God, her, her drunk friend. Oh, my God. That was so good. That was adorable. 
<laughs> oh, it was so funny. But the, then, and then they we get to see a chunk of it at the very end of the movie when Malcolm decides his unfinished business is actually finished, and you get to see them dancing, and he goes in to give her a kiss, and oh, it hurts the heart yeah. so bad. It, it as we mentioned before with Malcolm's unfinished business, we we've been saying that it's been it was a lot of just trying to help out this little boy and when after the you know the the king arthur play and he kind of feels like he's got some confidence he's got a little bit of, you know pep in his step type of thing and the kids are kind of accepting him a little bit uh and he understands what he has to do and he doesn't have to be afraid of it um it's because he yeah that's well that's why his entire yeah. life turned out because for cole is because he finally got over the fear. Yeah, but the the last line where he goes, you know, it's going to be sad that we're not going to see each other tomorrow. Like, he tells Malcolm that. Yeah, Cole no, knows. Yeah, and so when Cole goes, you know, says, you know, well, I don't think we're going to see, you know, let's just pretend that we're going to see each other tomorrow. Like, that's going to be good. Well, and then yeah. he said, tells him, like, oh, just go whisper to your wife. She'll listen. Well, first of all, it's because Cole knows that the acceptance journey is complete for him, which means it's going, it's complete for Malcolm. I think Cole knows what's up and what his role is in all of no. that. But he also tells her, tells uh, Cole tells Malcolm that because one of Malcolm's main main complaints is he can't communicate with his wife and yep. she, she's very distant. And he said, "Wait till she's asleep. Talk to her when she's asleep. She has to listen to you then, right?" And it works. And he, she's laying on the couch. She cried herself to sleep again. She was the wedding video. You can see it. It's always playing on the TV. Whenever the TV is on and Anna is in the room, it's their wedding video. Um, which tells you everything you need to know about their relationship. And she, you know the moment she falls asleep because she drops a wedding ring on the floor. And Malcolm comes in and sits down and um, starts trying to talk to her and she asks, so why did you have to leave me? And he's like, I'm right here, I didn't go anywhere. And it's a whole thing, and that's when his realization... That was when we get the realization from Malcolm that he is gone. Yeah. He is dead. He is no longer part of this woman, woman's life, or anybody else's for that matter. That's why, you know, that's he finally understands why Cole said we're not going to see each but, other tomorrow. But that was his loose end. Was because they were setting it up where, with Anna, just how devastated and devoted she was to Malcolm. Uh -huh. And how much they were connected... And it wasn't that he it, he had to do the loose end with a, a, you know helping out a kid with this with a problem because of another patient that meant nothing. It was because he was a, a child psychologist that he wanted to go help this kid. He didn't know he was dead, and then turn around where his his loose end was his wife and connecting it. His job, nothing ever, nothing well, meant she anything. Was, she was one of the two loose ends because of, because of who it was that killed him. It was, it was a kid who was suffering from the same thing that his one professional failure was suffering from. It was that, that was one loose end, but the, the major one was with his yeah. wife. So, but that was something that was, was very sweet, very touching. And it, it just made made the movie even better. Um, I mean, th there's so many more, and I would love to even see, you know, if there was like a Sixth Sense two, and they, you know, just cold, just going around and having to deal with these ghosts, even the scary ones. And yeah, you know, I don't know. I I think um, in terms, 
We kind of got a version of that with you brought up Doctor Sleep, but it was similar. It, it'd be similar to that. It'd be too similar to that where Danny Torrance was going around dealing with his ghosts. Um, I think it would. The idea would be to no, but I mean it was just the, the whole thing of just having these ghosts tell their stories is something oh, yeah. that would I be. I think that would be an interesting really, idea. Really cool. Um, but back to the Malcolm and Anna thing, I think that was probably one of the most. One of the most emotional parts of the movie was Malcolm's realization of exactly what happened to him and just how unraveling that was for him when he actually realized that he was dead and all of the signs were there from the beginning um, because and all it took was him looking down at his hand and realizing that he wasn't wearing his ring anymore. It was because she, Anna, took it when he died so she could keep it before they buried him or whatever they did with the body and um you can just see him coming unglued when he looks down he sees the bullet hole and he turns around and he sees the blood and his coming out of his back and um the flashbacks after that to the night he was murdered and everything leading up to that point and just how it was blow after blow after blow on on him and I can't imagine being in a position where it's you are finding out that you're you're dead um what that must feel like because it I mean first of all it's, it's an impossible thing to talk about it to to think about yeah. anyway because you're dead you're dead but still it's it's having that sort of sudden revelation where it's like your life is over it, it how devastating that must be as a human um you know because you, you get that from people all the time it's like they have an illness diagnosis and they have an x number of months or weeks or whatever to live and you know they they know what their expiration date is and what that has to do to somebody mentally and emotionally oh yeah you go through stages like crazy i mean just the whole depression and sadness and then acceptance and yeah the five stages of grief yeah and you're not even dead yet um but he you can see him kind of going through all of that and the unraveling that comes with it and then he very quickly kind of i guess he just comes to being at peace with what that was and he finally got to talk to to Anna and she responded and she said good night Malcolm and he said good night sweetheart and it was just and that was it uh, <laughs> the feels um, I don't like that this movie made me feel things <laughs> no I, I was actually more impressed with the fact that it still has an impact to this day um, however after we just went through and talked about all the good, there were a couple of things that I didn't feel made a, a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. But I think it was more because they were still trying to drag you along and you know not give you the you know spoil the the twist at the end. Um, Malcolm and his research mm-hmm. did not make any sense because. When he went down into his into his basement, he's raffling through papers, he's writing things, he's looking through books, and he's taking notes and doing all this other stuff. And a little part of me was at, at watching it, um, 
it didn't make sense because I was like, oh, so, I mean, I guess you could keep learning while you're dead. And, you know, because I already knew that he was dead. But that was the thing. is like, oh, so he can still just go through and riff, ruffle, ruffle, ruffle um, and learn. But once it kind of comes back to him and Cole says, oh, you, you know, the dead just see what they want to see. And that's just Malcolm just going through his typical motions but nothing's actually happening i guess yeah um but th- and that was just the thing it was like oh that was a little uh little iffy and then same thing with him uh carrying around his papers mm-hmm. uh like that first little scene where he's sitting on the bench uh waiting for cole to come out uh and he's seeing all of his notes and everything that he's written down and it's just kind of like I was like, oh, so when did you have time to do that? And also, like, how did you do that? But he doesn't sleep, so... No, no, but no, but but that's what I'm saying is, like, it's... For him as a ghost to be able to write things down, uh, look up things, study different, you know, stuff. Also, his little tape recorder. Yeah, I think that's the part... I don't think it's necessarily the learning part and the research part. It's the fact that... He's not really able to interact with anything else in the film, really. Yet he... Uh, unless... Unless it's anything he might have touched the night that he died, he can still touch. But he still managed to get down to the basement. I don't know. There's some holes Th- there. That's, that's what I meant. It's like... But on top of that, it, from what Cole said, it was like, oh, the dead just see what they want to see. Yeah. Um, and that's stuff that Malcolm would always do. So, I mean, I could probably chalk it up to... That, but just watching it through, if you didn't know the twist at all, at all at the end, and then when you finally got the twist, and then yeah. thinking back to that, it's just like, yeah, how did he interact with some of those different things, like his tape recorder, uh, you know, the pad and pen, mm-hmm. and then, you know, reading books and things like that. Um, that was just some, like, stuff that, you know, stood out for me. Yeah. Uh, I want to go through, all right, I want to do two different things. First, I want to know what your favorite character was. Okay. And then second, what your favorite scene was. Okay. Hmm. Because there's really no negative in this movie, which is great. But what is your yeah, favorite movie? At least or, nothing seriously negative. Yeah, yeah. Right? Nothing is, oh, you know, I could I could get by with that. That's, yeah. that's fine. It's not Jaws. Jaws the what? Mm. The what now? Jaws 4. The what? You're gonna, no. I've never heard of a movie called Jaws 4. I, <sighs> I, I thought there was, it was called something different. Uh, Jaws the Revenge. Mm. Oh, I, I don't... How'd that taste? No, it was bad. Mm. Nope. It was like the baby food. Blech. Anyways, so yes, your favorite character and your favorite scene. And mm. then I'll give you mine. Alrighty. Um... Tony Collette, her character Lynn, was probably my favorite. Um, I don't know if it's just because I can relate to her on so many levels as a mother. Um, but also because fucking Tony Collette just knocked it out of the fucking park. She did that. great. She was, was killer. Um, give her all the awards for this. <laughs> and that, But probably... Probably my favorite scene was actually at the end of the movie when Cole turns to her and says, okay, I think I'm ready to communicate with you now. And she finally is willing to listen. And he tells her, 
exactly what is going on and he does the big reveal about his grandmother and um, he clues his mom in on uh, the the her dance recital thing just mm-hmm. to just to let her know that he is being deadly serious um, about the whole thing and there's no way he could lie because he wouldn't know about that otherwise so that scene where he finally opens up and you can see the two of them coming closer together and there's a bond that is being you can see it before your eyes that is healing between the two of them and it's just such a special moment between a mother and a son. And it's such a, a lovely resolution to two people, not two, four, two people who were essentially being tortured this entire movie by Cole's curse, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Um, it, it, yeah, you can be like, oh, it's just a cheesy, happy ending, whatever. But I think for what this movie was, you needed to have that happy ending. I think if it was anything else, it would have been bleak and nihilist yeah. and just you would you would have not felt good if you didn't get that happy ending at the end. One of my favorite scenes, and again, the, I also have to relate to her as well um, because. And I, I, I ref, you know, reference my son a lot because I've done this to him. And it's there's a scene where they're at the breakfast table and she asks Cole about the little bumblebee pendant. And it's like, oh, why did you take it? That's, you know, that's my favorite thing. Like, why, are you, why do you keep moving it? Cole's like, and he keeps saying, I, I didn't do it. It wasn't me. And he's dead serious. And she's like, all right, I'm going to give you one more chance. You, you know, I'm not going to be mad at you. Just if you want to tell me you know, why did you move it? And he's like, I didn't. She's like, you know what? I think you're done with your, you know, with your meal. Go ahead and leave. Like, she's just, she's so mad. Yeah, she's sending him to bed. Yeah, she's so mad. She's like, just get out of my face. And Cole was just crushed because, you know, his mom, someone that he knows loves him, is now very mad at him for something he has, he didn't do anything about. Mm -hmm. And then there was a scene where, um, he's, uh, I believe is right after the woman in, uh, the, the lady in pink in the kitchen scares the shit out of him. He runs into, uh, oh, the mom's trying to get the dog or trying to get something in the, like the crawl space. No, and, it was the dog. Yeah. The dog ran in, in a hole and she couldn't get him out. Yeah. So she's, so she's in the crawl space and he comes in and he's like, you know, mom, if, if you're not mad anymore, can I sleep with you? And she turns to him and goes, Look at my face. And it's one of those just never, ever feel like I'm, I'm mad at you or I'm, I'm, I hate you or anything like that. You, and, it, and, it's, and like I said, I always – I've done that to my son where it's like I've had to be stern, you know, discipline and stuff like that. If he did something wrong and it's like if he felt that I was still mad at him, I had to let him know. It's like, dude, like you're always going to be my buddy. We're always going to be – you know, it's – I'm always going to be your dad. I have to, you know – be stern with you and kind of teach you that, you know, things are wrong or whatever, but it's like, I'm always going to love you. Like there's not never, ever going to be a, a moment where I don't feel that way, mm-hmm. you know, towards you. And she killed it on that level. Just that whole thing. Like, just look at my face and just know that 
everything's okay. And it's like, yeah, yes, you can, like, sleep with me, it's, it's fine. Like, and then she gives a big hug and just comforts him. And that, yeah, she absolutely kills it. So she's definitely on the top. Um, for my favorite character, I'm going to say Cole's little puppy. That little fucking... It was a husky puppy. Oh, husky. It's so cute. It's so good. Oh, my God. Like, I I was like, I really wanted a little husky puppy again. Like, I, we had a husky when I was a kid. and Don't get a husky when you still live in an apartment. No, God, no. It's just like, it'd be cruel because it's like, they need cold weather. And, and we and live energy, in Florida. Energy oh for God. days and days and days. Yeah. So, I mean, but huskies are gorgeous animals. And just that little tiny puppy. Um, but the one thing that... One reason why I, I, I'm, I mean, Cole is probably my top favorite just because of the way he acted. Yeah. But the puppy, you. something that uh, I've seen online a couple of times where people question, is the puppy dead? No, because his mom knows about it. The mom never necessarily interacts with the puppy. There's one scene where the puppy's in the, the kitchen area and she just kind of just walks by it and ignores no, it. because she's calling the dog out from his Did little she? hidey hole. Yes, that's okay. what she was doing in that crawl space, was trying to pull the damn dog out. Okay. Because the dog got scared. Because of, of what happened Yeah, because of what happened in Cole's yeah. room. Uh, well, that's what I thought, but, like, because uh, I, I think I'm, when I watched it again, I missed that part where she's trying to yeah, get no, the dog. Yeah, no, she's up sitting on the floor crying, trying to get the dog to come out. Okay, and I thought she won't. was just trying to just get something out of the crawl space and no. couldn't get it. No, it was so, the dog. But that was the thing. is like I saw people going like, oh, is the dog dead? I was like, oh, shit. Is, is the dog dead? <laughs> like, no, it's not a, dead. Yeah, I was like, oh, my God. That would be intense. No, unless mom can shine, too, the dog is not dead. Yeah, but it, it was just because of those scenes where no one's really interacting with the dog. I mean, Cole never really interacted with them heavily to a degree the dog was, was really just kind of there no point in having the dog in the movie but that's fine no no not at all like it did nothing except for run away and be so goddamn cute and fluffy um so yeah but he could have had a hamster and it would have been the same effect pretty much yeah my favorite scene was the game for malcolm and cole oh this one step forward one step back one game? yeah that scene is absolutely brilliant in every layer possible from both Bruce and Haley, just the way they acted to the actual filming and the the writing of that just where... Well, it's just the very idea of it where Malcolm was using it as an exercise to... As a trust-building exercise. Yeah. Um, but that was... It was really cool because when he's... And again, it's just an adult acting with a kid just going, you know, I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to play around here. I'm going to do my little psychic thing. And he puts his fingers to his head and then he drops some. Sean Spencer style. Yeah, just drops some, just some typical stuff about, about Cole and he starts to walk forward. But my favorite thing about that scene is you're getting a POV from Cole's perspective. And so he'd walk forward and the camera would move closer to Malcolm. And then the, when Malcolm would get something wrong and Cole would back up, you'd see the camera back up one space. That was absolutely incredible. And there's not – there's a handful of camera work scenes that really impact movies for me. Uh, one being Jaws with Brody and the zoom camera um, you know, at the beach. 
uh, to Bruce Campbell, uh, or in the Evil Dead when they are doing the zoom uh, zoom bits like that is a big. When they're chasing him around the hallways. Well, well, the when the um, the deadites or the, the oh evil, when the, it's a POV of the dead deadites. Yeah, when yeah. when that's when that's going around, but then also too when there's the the scene in Evil Dead Two when uh, it looks like the the evil is running going around the house and it like zooms into different things and you could hear the the sound effects. Um, the other one is the suicide scene in uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. When the camera's oh, and it's pulling back, through pulling her head. back through her head, mm-hmm. fucking so good, and you don't never see shit like that. That was really good, and this one is also in that that grouping just because of that little bit of just the camera going in and then walking out every step. Like that was really cool because it impacted everything that was happening. And then when Cole says, "You can't help me," and then and runs away after you know. At the end of the movie, when you get the twist, and you, he's saying you can't help me because you're dead. Yeah. He doesn't tell Malcolm that. He just says you just can't help me. There ain't nothing you can do. And right, then, and that yeah. could mean anything. Exactly, and that was something too with, with M Night, where the 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 wording that they chose for certain scenes could mean anything, and just the stuff where Malcolm is like, there's a scene where they're at the the bed in the hospital. And he's telling this, starts telling this the shitty story, and then <laughs> Nicole's like, "Oh, you never really told bedtime stories before." And then Malcolm opens up to him, mm-hmm. and that was something as that's been you know troubling on Malcolm's mind. That is something that Cole was supposed to help him take care of. Yeah, and, and it was, it was a nice, just a really nice way. That was actually a nice quid pro quo between the two of them um, to have that and to have because that. When Malcolm opens up about how he's feeling about his wife, that was when we get Cole opening up about I see the whole I see dead people thing, and then it's immediately following that when we actually get to see dead people. And and Cole in that moment when he's saying I see dead people all the time, he's staring dead into Malcolm's eyes. Malcolm is kind of shocked at what he's hearing, but he's, he doesn't know it's about him yet. Exactly, Cole is. Telling it's the same thing. He's telling Malcolm he's dead. Exactly. Yeah. It's it's the same thing with the drawing of the the two men and you know one getting stabbed in the neck with a screwdriver. Same exact thing. I'm telling you, without telling you that I know what's what's actually happening. You don't know that I know that you don't know yeah. that you're dead. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean that the wording in in the script is. Is is uh, absolutely brilliant. Like it's really really cool. Like I absolutely loved it. And there, there, this movie has a lot of things that they play with. They play with a lot of, um, like folklore, like ghost folklore, a little bit. Um, especially the scene in the antique store with Anna, where she's trying to sell the ring to that couple, and she's talking about how. Oh man. The the former and you she's just trying to make a fucking sale. Oh my god, man, she is a saleswoman. But for how sure. but she's but I she's also thinking about Malcolm at that point too. Yeah. And how people leave fingerprints on everything and there's always a trace of them left and But that guy, that poor man. Do you have anything that could be um a little more basic? And then the girl's like I'm basic to you? And it's like, oh, shit, you are done, son. Somebody's in the doghouse. And then Anna going, well, why don't you try it on and, and see how you'll... You know, she was trying if, to save his ass yeah, is what she was doing. It's like, 
dude. Like, but for her just to go. Do you have a layaway plan? Yeah, just just try it on and see see how you guys feel about it. It's like basically the girl. She was all about the ring. She's gonna put it on. It ain't coming off. Yeah, she like, owns it now. Yeah, that's that's how that works. But that's like, a but the whole the deadly fingerprints thing. That's a part of what we think about culturally and a lot of different cultures where something that the dead had owned still even after they're gone there's a piece of them left inside of whatever that thing is and in this case Anna was talking about a ring um that's very much part of at least our American ghost stories yeah um ghost adventures I anytime we talk about a ghost movie I always tend to bring them up because it's relevant and um, go but, figure. But they do that all the time because they go through a lot of the history of whatever location that they're yeah. at, and they'll and usually it, bring a thing with them. Yeah, I think one of my favorite ones was the uh, when they went to Gettysburg, and they dressed up as soldiers. It was a little cheesy, but they actually got a result out of it, where they brought in a cannon that was supposed to be used at the during the war. They dressed up in soldier uniforms and they were firing off guns and the cannons to get a reaction yeah they're trying to agitate spirits yeah and they do that stuff all the time where uh, if they're in like a little asylum uh, like a children's like wing of the asylum they'll bring toys Mm -hmm. and things like that to see if they'll get them to play with there's one that's really good they put a ball in the center of this floor and it just starts rolling around and a little part of me is like skeptics explain that shit it's like <laughs> it's like there's no one else in there it's like it's just rolling there's in someone the... under the floor with a magnet no fuck and they're just fuck off <laughs> it's, it's a little it's like a clear piece of string it's just going to the like no there's another one where it's like a little teddy bear and you can hear a little girl's laughter and the teddy bear twists and it's like like something like brushed by it I was like stuff like that is really cool but I also agree with that where uh and a lot of times it's like like with wood and things like that, it just kind of soaks up energy. From, yeah. You know, it, so. It's just, and for the living, it tells us how we feel about our dead and how, you know, this ties in with religion and stuff like that, how we don't want to believe that, that per, the soul of that person or that person in general is gone in any way. We want to believe that somehow, some way, there is a part of them that is still around. Whether you believe that, you know, a cardinal coming by is a spirit saying hello, or um, whether a piece of somebody's soul is trapped in an object, as it was described in this movie, or that, you know, a spirit will linger in in a home. It 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 doesn't matter what version of that that is. It's just it it reaches to a part of the human condition where we don't want to believe that we're really truly gone after we die. And I think that there's something scary and powerful and and moving about all of that. And it's it's you can just wave off, wave it off as a conversation between three people, but I think it gets to the crux of the movie and then you kind of see that again repeated when Anna is holding on to Malcolm's wedding ring and she finally lets it go because you get in that scene you get Malcolm letting go but I think you also get Anna letting go of him and finally accepting that he's gone 
and he's not coming back. And it's the, the, that's the symbolism of her dropping that ring. Yeah. And again, it, good job and night Shyamalan ding dong. Yeah, and it's sad. It's super moving. Um, and then when Malcolm says goodnight to her, she gets a little smile on her face, and he's gone. And we move on to the next scene where Cole's putting his life back together, and he finally gets in some semblance of being a normal child after he gets to open up to his mom. Yeah. And that, that whole scene in the car was just absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, so, so before I start crying again, can we wrap this up? <laughs> What's your skull rating? This one's a four and a half out of five for me. I would love to give it a five, but the fact that it has very low rewatchability, unless you just want to watch it for the sake of watching it, which is hard to do for a film like this, that's what knocks some points off, is just because there's not a lot of rewatchability here. Um, it's lovely. It's very well thought out. It's very well paced. They put all the scares in the right places. There's excellent tension building. Um, the cast was perfect. Um, there wasn't a misstep in any of that. Like, you don't see one person and you go, God, it's glaringly obvious they don't belong here. There's none of that in this movie. Um, you know, and Bruce Willis, this is him. I think up until this point, he was mostly just doing action movies. So this is, he's in a very, it's a very quiet role for him, which at that point in time was weird. Ain't no more yippee motherfucker. Right. Like you're used to John McClane or some version of that. And, and this, it's very quiet. He's very stoic. He's not swearing or yelling or shooting or running around or any of that stuff. Like it's a very still placid movie. Um, and then you have all of this stuff going on around Cole, um, especially the middle portion of the film when we start to see the ghost coming out. Cole's sort of starting to go off the rails a little bit with freaking out. Um, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful movie. I just wish, it just sucks that, the, ironically, the twist is both a blessing and a curse much like Cole's gift here um, for the film. It, it, yeah, it just makes it really hard to go back and watch because you literally are just looking for all of the clues that the twist is coming, yeah. at least for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm giving it a little bit higher. Mine was ended up being around, it was like a 4.7, um, just because... Everything that we mentioned with just the acting was brilliant. Uh, a lot of the camera work was really good that I really appreciate. Uh, the story was was fantastic. Um, we watched a, a, a little YouTube clip that gave a lot of similarities to the, the uh, to the Exorcist, <laughs> which is what we just did. So and you know, single mom, a troubled kid, uh, just all you know. Dealing with supernatural spirits, yeah, yeah. you know, a uh, divorced parent, all that stuff. It's like, and M Night also uh, said that he wanted to kind of like he wanted to pay like an homage to The Exorcist, but you know, making it his own story as well. So, which um, he did, and you can see, you can definitely get the vibe. Yeah, but I'm really, I really appreciate that he 
went and made it more of a haunting story than a than obviously the yeah. possession. He and that was something where it's you could it was well done to the point where it's like I didn't even re- I didn't register that until we watched that YouTube clip. And then it's really obvious. I was just like, oh my god, that's awesome. But it, he still made it his own while paying homage. Like, so that was really cool. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, but the one and thing... And I love that he could do that too. Just take the germ of the idea. Yeah. And make it his own thing. Also, side note before I get into the rest of my little spiel. Well done for M. Night implanting himself into the movie. Yeah, he played a doctor. And he actually acted his ass off on that. Like, I mean, he did a great job doing that because most directors if you're implanting yourself into the film you're either just a you know someone in the background or whatever or if you're like Guillermo del Toro you're just running around in a, like a dinosaur suit at a Halloween party in Hellboy um which is really funny to see yeah. him running yeah normally it's it's a jarring thing but he that puzzle piece fit yeah he was just right there playing the doctor and it was serious and it was very believable. It so, took me a second too. I was like, "Hey, wait a minute!" He put yeah. himself in his own movie. Yeah. So I was like, "That's good." I mean, it's almost like Mel Brooks, but it's like <laughs> Mel Brooks makes himself the star of his own movie sometimes. <laughs> Crap! Now I'm thinking about Blazing Saddles and I can't stop giggling. Um, <laughs> so. I was thinking of History of the World Part One, where he's literally the star of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I was just like, I just love the mayor with him <laughs> and the cross eyes. <laughs> We gotta cover our pony baloney jobs, gentlemen. Harumph, harumph. I didn't get a harumph out of that guy. No, That's I, was think, I was thinking of the history of the world with him and B. Arthur. What's your job? I'm a stand up philosopher. Oh, so you're a bullshit artist. <laughs> so good. God damn it. God. I'm gonna go home and watch Mel Brooks now. But, like, uh, that was the thing, was like, so. I love the acting. I love the filming. The story was fantastic. It is hard to as a rewatch, but it's one of those movies where if you give it enough time, or you know, maybe do it like yeah. once a year, or something like that, or even at one. It, I think you have to go a few years between. Rewatches. Yeah, I mean, and that was the thing is like it was very refreshing to watch it this time around for the podcast, just because it's been a good long time since I've seen it. Decades. It, but that's where it was just. It was one of those things that. Watching it again, I have a, a high level of appreciation for it. Whereas, and a different perspective. Exactly. And a lot of the other M. Night movies, I'm probably have to, you know, revisit again. Because there are some that I kind of fell flat on. The Village was good up until the twist. And then it, you know, it, it didn't, didn't really hold on that level. But, again, it's like he's not a bad director whatsoever i love that he does try to bring in a story and it doesn't like i'm just gonna do the movie just for the twist he actually has a real well or well rounded story there it is there you go samsonite um so but that's the thing is like he has a a really good story going into it and then the twist on that it just kind of sets it up but it's just one of those things where it's just hard because you know whenever you hear that name M Night, you're looking for it. It's just there. I mean, I like I, I mentioned uh, before. It's like I, I want M Night to do a movie where there is absolutely no twist, and that's the twist. And that it's just like A to B, and they're like, "Where the fuck's the twist, man?" The twist was there is no twist, I motherfucker. Paid, I, I paid the the money for the movie for the twist. And it's like, well, suck it. 
Like, come on. So that that's what How I would love. middle finger? I, that's what I would love, just to kind of just throw everyone off their guard. Um, but, I mean, it's still, this movie is fantastic. Uh, I mean, there's there's other scenes in there that we missed. Oh, one scene that we didn't talk about that was really good was the fact <laughs> that he took the whole concept of the scary dead people that was scared child. And then when he kind of, when Cole comes into the realization that they're they're just, they're just wanting help. That's why they're coming to me because I can see him. The little girl that when uh, Cole's in his uh, safe tent and the all the stuff starts coming apart and then like the camera looks over real quick and you see the girl just vomiting. Fucking terrifying. Like that's I was like holy shit that's creepy. And then when Cole runs away and the the tent falls down you can still see the shape of the girl. And then when he takes it off and he's like, oh, she's like, oh, I, f- I feel better now. And he's just like, what do you what do you want from me? That was terrifying, but he was accepting it. And then when they're in uh, the I think it's the bedroom and the hand comes out from under the bed again, another crazy jump scare. But then just, it's just the girl. She pushes the box and all she wants is to show her dad what her mom was doing to her. Yeah, because it was gonna. Ha- it was happening to her sister too. Yeah, her and- sister was now because they said, "Oh, she just mysteriously fell ill and died, and now her sister's showing signs of being sick too." So it's like mom was murdering her daughters. The the daughter had a video camera filming everything that the oh she was filming a puppet show, and then and left the camera on, and then you could see the mom poisoning the the soup or whatever, and the girl. Uh, you know, in the bed was like, oh, yeah, I'm feeling a lot better now. And she's like, okay, well, that's good. But normally around, like after lunchtime is when you start, you know, kind of going downhill. Really? Oh, shit, eh? Like, and, and, then, and then the mom's like, oh, don't, uh, and also don't tell me that it tastes funny either. <laughs> Red flag, dad, dad. <laughs> like, come on, like, like, come on, ref. Like, this is just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. But like, oh, How that did whole, you miss that call? Yeah, that whole scene is just... It, it, it's really impactful because the father he see it starts off where he's seeing something really happy about you know the the daughter and what she's yeah, doing. She before, loved the puppet show thing before she before she died, and then all of a sudden it went really dark where it's like my wife killed my daughter, and I have evidence, and it's it's all right here. And a whole room full of people saw it. Yeah, yeah, like, that's that's insane. Yeah, and and even like Cole, he's like your daughter just wanted me. To give this to you, and then he just walks away. the The guy never. I mean, he's he's you know grief stricken because he's not going to register. You know, ask who the kid is or anything like that. He's just going to go ahead and, and it, it, also it's a VHS tape for all you kids. That's a, that's what we used to watch things on in the before times. Ah, the before times. <laughs> yeah. Before so. everything went digital, when we had physical media <laughs> that also took up all of the space. Yeah. So God, those things were beefy. <laughs> so, but that was the thing. Like that scene is super impactful, and that gets Cole on the way to being the helpful guidance that these spirits want. And, and like the lady in the um, yeah, that was his first attempt. Yeah, in, in the 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 play area where she's all burnt up and stuff like that, and uh, his teacher comes and is like, "Oh, who are you talking to?" He's like, no, no, just nothing. Yeah, he was talking about his working on his lines yeah so i mean like that whole thing was absolutely brilliant so i'm giving it a 4.7 but yes it is one of those movies that 
can't really rewatch. Yeah, I, I'm not gonna go a, a month from now. I'm not gonna be like, I want to watch Six Sense. Yeah, like, I, I want a good cry. No, if I want a good cry, I'm just gonna watch a goddamn Pixar movie. That does it for me every single time, hands down. Yeah, let's watch Soul and cry. <laughs> or or Up. The first five minutes up, you're good. Yeah, I don't need to watch anymore. <laughs> I'm already a blubbering mess. We're done. So that's it for the Sixth Sense. And join us next week as we finish out our box office bonanza month mm-hmm. where we take on 1999 sleepy hollow so we're gonna yeah. stay in the same year should be fun i haven't seen this movie in a really long time so this should be fun to do i think so and uh i mean it's tim burton with a banger of a cast so yeah i don't see where this wouldn't be fun however next week is also a twofer because not only are we wrapping up our blockbuster bonanza month but also season two thursday when our annual wrap-up will drop uh after that i can't believe we're done with season two yeah i mean we're gonna go through all the the loves the hates the The jaws the good the bad because jaws (laughs) you just sideshow bomb me <laughs> so yes, definitely, definitely join us on Thursday for that because that'll be a fun one as a as a nice little recap uh, before we jump right into season three. Yep, and we got a lot to cover. So join us next week uh, by hitting that subscribe button, like, share, comment. Any and all five star reviews are appreciated. Help us beat the iTunes algorithm. Join us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Slasher at Creepin' It Real, R-E-E-L as in Movie Real. You can uh, rep the merch at creepinitreal.redbubble.com. You can get t-shirts, notebooks, socks, whatever your little scary, spooky heart desires. You can get that there. All of the designs are one of a kind done by Mr. Lunchbox. That's me. And if you're feeling particularly lazy and you just happen to be on Instagram, there's a link in our bio to the Redbubble page. And also, if you download the Redbubble app, uh, a lot of times they they give you like a 20% discount um, right off the bat uh, for your first purchase. And then uh, periodically they'll tell you like if there's sales going on for socks, stickers, and t-shirts and whatever. A lot of Black Friday stuff, like when it gets around time to that, that's when you... You get the big bang for your buck so and that's five months away so you know there's time to start thinking about that um <laughs> oh lord it's only five months away <laughs> no it just seems like oh jesus oh my god <laughs> it, exactly let's i show bob this thing uh and if you have a movie suggestion or you'd like to sponsor an episode creeping at real.cm at gmail.com yeah. email Lunchbox always has his email handy and ready and raring to go. Yeah, please, if any, like, we are looking for sponsors or anybody to rep. So, yeah, hit us up. as a nice little aside, and we probably need to post this on social media more, if you sponsor an episode, you get to pick the topic of the episode. Yay! So, you you pay for a movie, you pick a movie. That's, them's the rules. I want to say I didn't make them up, but I did. And that's what we're going to do. Right, right. So, sponsor, sponsor an episode, pick a movie. Anywho, that's it. Until we venture out into Jordan Peele territory, I have been Meg. I've been Lunchbox. And I'm going to go have a good cry now. <laughs> Me too.